Now, Paul, formerly Saul, was a Pharisee, dedicated himself to serving God. But he was wrong. Absolutely wrong. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible. And today, we landed Philippians chapter 3 in three minutes. We're going to teach on this. It's very interesting. So stay there. You're going to want to be a part of this. Corey? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at doves and dove keeping in the biblical world. Ryan? Today, I'm looking into the history of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, several famous biblical figures came from this tribe, most notably Paul the Apostle. Yeah, Paul was an amazing man from the tribe of Benjamin. Very, very good. Okay, Janice? Rejoice in the Lord. All right, so take your Bible guide out. Turn to today's passage as we begin to study Philippians chapter 3. Ryan and Corey are coming up in about 15 minutes. Janice and 17, let's study. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, out of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3 and 4 is what we studied today. It's a very, very interesting study as we take our minds and focus on the 11 verses here, the truth in Jesus Christ. Now, what are we concerned about right now? What are you concerned about? Are we preoccupied with the failures of our government structures? with our household funds, with our civil rights, the violation of laws, or are we concerned about the truth of Jesus Christ? Everything mankind does has a limited time. We look at history and we can see nations come and go, rise and fall. But Jesus Christ has never fallen. 
He remains the same today, yesterday, and forever. The reason many people stay away from the truth is because they fall prey to lies that require no faith to follow. Paul the Apostle spoke to the people in Philippi about staying faithful with the truth of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in the law of God that can be rightly fulfilled by humans without sinning. Only by faith in Christ Jesus, who fulfilled the law, can we come into complete knowledge and receive salvation that makes us right with God. That's true. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what Habakkuk said, the great prophet, the just shall live by faith. That was the Old Testament. A very, very interesting time. And we're going to focus on this today as we look at chapter 3. It's going to be interesting. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have your Bible guide, why not? Write or call or go to Bible Discovery TV and get your Bible guide. It's also good for next year. We have new guides coming out every month. Every month we do this and we're taking you through the Bible. We're taking as many people as possible who want to go with us through the Word of God, the 66 books written by the 40 authors over 1,500 years, all with the same theme, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, or when you get on the mailing list, you'll receive the guides automatically. So, Father, today I pray as we look at this, you know, we're going to talk about the truth. And this is not something easily talked about in today's world full of lies. I mean, really? The truth in a world full of lies where you can't trust anything? Well, we can trust your truth. This hasn't changed. People have tried to change it. We have too many of these written copies it hasn't changed. And I've seen your word in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. I know that for a fact. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, to hear what you're saying. Because you've made this word speak to us. And so we need to, we need to be spoken to by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Now, Philippians chapter 3 is very important. We begin with verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilations. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, capital S. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. I mean, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm also circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law and the Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted as loss for Christ. Did you hear what Paul said? Paul was a Pharisee who has dedicated his life to following the law of God. But Paul was not saved until he was confronted by Jesus Christ. You see, we are saved from hell because exclusively Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved by what we do or how we think, we're saved by having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. If we dare to 
reach our minds out and say, Lord, I want to have faith in you. Help me and forgive me. God will take his Holy Spirit and instantly he will begin to change us. And we see that because we're spiritual people too. And our spirits are dead until we come to Jesus Christ who wakens us up. Very important to hear that. Well, let's go on because we don't have time all day here. So it says in Philippians 3, yet indeed I also account all things loss for the excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What is he saying? Christ alone, his life and work has done everything for us. Some people think, think it's our deeds that will earn us salvation, but we must come to Christ in faith. This is what Paul says all the time. It's what we believe in Jesus Christ. We surrender Submit and surrender. You know, a lot of people have a hard time with coming to Christ because they don't want to surrender anything. Because all their life, their surrenders have ended up in disasters. But when we come to Jesus Christ and surrender our life, it does not produce disaster. It produces glorious salvation. That's the truth. I did it. I don't do anything except I pray for God. And when I don't pray to God and make mistakes. And so, beloved, we need to understand that. We need to keep that close to our hearts and our minds. All right, let's go on. This is really good. Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from his death. Do you understand what he's saying? In order to know Christ and to grow in Christ, we must be like Christ. In order to know Jesus Christ and to grow in Jesus Christ, we must be like Jesus Christ. So our suffering for Christ is the spirit of Christ living in and through our lives living in and through our lives. That is not me. If there's any good in me, I want to tell you absolutely right here on international television, I'll just say it. There's nothing good in me. Jesus Christ has come into my life and he makes me wonderful. I don't do it, but Jesus has done it. Praise God. And I do things and sometimes I'm like, how in the world did I know to do that? I knew that because the Holy Spirit prompted me. And that's what he does with many of you. That's what he can do for you. If you come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. You do that by praying to him. You say, Lord, I need you to come into my heart. Help me today. I know you're alive. And I know your Holy Spirit will be with me. In Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, all of us, Amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone. 
And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And if there ever was a question to Paul's heritage, Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 makes it absolutely clear. In this verse, Paul describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He also mentioned that he was a Benjamite back in Romans chapter 11. And this tribe he was from has a really, really interesting history. And there are other well-known biblical figures who were also from this tribe. So what I want to do today is to do a background study on this particular tribe of Israel. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. So let's go. Though the birthing Rachel, in her dying breath, named her newborn son Benoni, meaning son of my sorrow, his father Jacob renamed him Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand. He was the youngest of Jacob's twelve sons, and like his brothers, became the father of the Israelite tribe bearing his name. In fact, it would be several years later when his father Jacob, now on his deathbed, proclaimed upon his sons the customary blessing. Though this was much more than the typical patriarchal blessing, it was a prophecy that would develop over the course of the history of the twelve tribes. Benjamin is no exception. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 27, Jacob declares, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. The emphasis on Benjamin is his warlike character, and the tribe of Benjamin fulfilled Jacob's prophecy by becoming extremely skilled warriors. In fact, says one historian, they were skilled archers and slingers, said to be able to shoot at a hare and never miss. They also trained their warriors to be ambidextrous in combat, and in fact, biblical accounts have a few stories of Benjamite warriors catching an opponent off guard by fighting with their left hands. The Benjamite warriors were indeed as fierce as ravenous wolves, and adopted that animal as the symbol of their tribe. The tribe of Benjamin did in fact produce some rather famous warriors, such as the judge Ehud, a left-handed man, as well as the very first king of the Jews, Saul, and his son Jonathan, who was a courageous military commander. Both Mordecai and Esther were Benjamites, as well as Paul the Apostle. Unfortunately, just as Jacob predicted, the Benjamites could also be ruthless, vicious, and cruel, as can be seen in the closing chapters of the Book of Judges. After Benjamites in the town of Gibeah rape a Levite's concubine, the tribe is nearly wiped out by the eleven other tribes. Hence King Saul's later statement that the tribe of Benjamin was smallest of the tribes was quite true. Nevertheless, a close alliance was formed between this tribe and that of Judah in the time of David, which continued after his death. After the exile, these two tribes formed the great body of the Jewish nation. And Benjamin's strong relationship with his brothers, Joseph and Judah, was also maintained by their tribes. So there you have it, a brief history of the tribe of Benjamin, but a history which exactly reflects the prophecy given by Jacob all the way back in Genesis 49. Clearly, God was speaking through Jacob, and clearly God used Paul the Apostle and Benjamite very mightily. It's very interesting, you know, as we're in the, the New Testament of the Bible, that we are <clears throat> constantly going back to the Old Testament. Genesis, of course, is a good example of that. And we, we do that because 
the Old Testament is quoted over 200 times in the New Testament. So we need to understand that the Bible that the early Christian church had was not the Bible we have, but it mm -hmm. was the 39 books yeah. that were, was written and it was for, it was the Jewish book and it was excellent. And then the Bible we have today includes the New Testament, which was written after the first century. Well, it was written during the first century, but after the first century AD. And uh, Hebrews was a little bit later when it came in, but very, very interesting. Thank you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay, Corey. All right. Today, we're going to take a fun deviation into history. We're going to take a look at doves in the Bible and in the ancient world. Take a look. The text of the Bible, along with the ancient physical remains of the people of Israel and Judah, tell of an interesting relationship with doves and pigeons. The symbolism of the dove has been passed down to us today mainly through Christianity, as representing the sacred, specifically the Holy Spirit. This imagery begins with the very practical use of the dove by Noah in Genesis 8. Noah uses what became a tried-and-true sailor's practice, the releasing of a dove to help locate land. Noah's dove, with its iconic olive branch, is still an enduring symbol of peace. Its context as a messenger of God's peace with Noah's family helps explain its association with the Spirit of God. This symbolism became rooted deeply within Judaism, so that by the time of Jesus, John the Baptist claimed to see the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove onto Jesus. Because of this, the dove, along with its watery friend the fish for its own reasons, became enduring early Christian symbols. Looking back into the Hebrew scriptures, Judaism had come to understand the reference to the Spirit of God hovering over the primordial waters in Genesis 1 verse 2 to be connected to the hovering or flying of a dove. The mournful cooing sounds of doves and pigeons, as well as their flight and nesting patterns, also find biblical usage in the prophets. And to the famous lovers of Song of Songs, Dove proved a faithful pet name. Practically speaking, doves were not all pet names and symbols. They were an integral part of the sacrificial worship of God. Doves and pigeons were acceptable burnt offerings and could stand in the place of a more expensive sin offering. We see this in practice with Mary and Joseph's sacrifice after Jesus' birth. They brought two doves, one replacing a more expensive lamb for their sin offering, and one as the prescribed burnt offering. This sacrificial usage is backed up by the archaeological discovery of dovecote towers in and around Jerusalem, referred to as Columbaria. There have been three tower ruins explored in the Kidron Valley quite close to the Temple Mount. There have been 40 discovered around Jerusalem and hundreds in the rest of Israel. The Kidron Valley towers no doubt service the dove sellers whom Jesus saw fit to drive out of the temple complex. Most of the remaining columbaria date to the Hellenistic and early Roman periods, which is not surprising given the rich tradition of dove-rearing in Greek society. Dove-raising towers had features to limit predator access and with their niches could house thousands of birds. But most of the dovecotes in Israel were actually carved into underground, man-made limestone caves. These were clearly more durable than their tower counterparts. And rather than providing religious sacrifices, these columbaria housed doves that were raised for their meat and their droppings, which proved a valuable fertilizer. 
So apparently there's been a study done in ancient Jerusalem analyzing um, like basically garbage dumps and waste pits. And a lot of uh, dove and pigeon bones have been found in sites very close to the Temple Mount, but none in domestic, like in the, in the uh, housing section, which is very interesting. And it just uh, serves as evidence towards the fact that they were used quite often in the sacrificial um, system of the Jerusalem Temple. We also know that uh, it became pretty much an elite thing uh, in the Roman Empire, in Rome specifically, especially bread doves could fetch a very high price, uh, and they were often kept on rooftops in an urban setting. So the dovecots would actually be built on residential rooftops, even though there were some laws about where these could and could not be built just to protect people's grain storage and, and things of that nature. But lots of really interesting things. You know, in the Middle Ages, this spread out uh, to, to England and France, and you can really you really track a surprising amount of dove keeping history if you yeah. if you dig into it. <laughs> well, when you go back to Genesis six to nine, you you see the mention yeah. of doves yeah. for the first time in the Bible, and it's absolutely fascinating. It re- and the ravens are mentioned, but mm-hmm. it, it's just absolutely fascinating when you when you hear about that because these are specific birds. Yeah, it's a long time ago. And uh, the dove is a very interesting bird. I agree. There's so much to learn. So much to learn. So much. Excellent. (laughs) So little time. So much to learn. You're up. I'm up. Yes, I am. Rejoice in the Lord. That's our reminder today, not just from me, but from the Apostle Paul. That's what he starts off with in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And just a page over in my Bible, in Philippians chapter 4, he says in Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I know that sometimes we go through these hardships and you say, well, Janice, how can I rejoice all the time? You know, I think Paul gives us a a good clue here. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This being anxious for nothing, this, we can offload that and be thankful because we know that God will carry those burdens for us, that God will help us through those times. We will still have the trials. We will still have the tribulations. We will still have those times when we feel anxious and fear inside of us, but we can also know that we can give it to God and he will be with us through all of those things. So as I was reading this and and, and thinking about rejoicing in the Lord, I thought of that song, our hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I love that old hymn. And then all of a sudden, Rod, you know how my mind works. Because when I was reading last year in Philippians 4.4, all I could think about was four, yelling four before you hit the ball in in, um, golf, because that's a warning. And Paul's just giving us a warning there. But all I could think of here too, was that, that saying that we mostly know from the three musketeers. Remember that? What was their saying? All for one and one for all. All for one and one for all. And I I thought, now Janice, where, where is your mind going with this? But you know what? I thought that is the motto of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All for one. All for one. One for all.、Mm. And one for all. Isn't that cool? That Now is, I'm sure、yeah. many people have thought of that before, but today it just hit me because I thought, as the、uh, as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all. For one,、Jesus. it is the Lord Jesus Christ who unifies us, who becomes that 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 bridge that builds the gap that sin has created, and now we can have fellowship with God our Father. So all for one, one. and one for Jesus for all. Jesus came to be that sacrifice once and for all. So as we think about that motto again, hmm, that might have been okay for the three musketeers, and actually it ended up being four musketeers, really. <laughs> But our cheer, our motto for the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be all for one and one for all. Philippians three twenty to twenty one says, "For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior." The Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians four verse one. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved, beloved、awesome. by God. Isn't that awesome? It, it is. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> copyrighted that all for one and one for all, but、uh, that, that's that's really a long time ago.、Right. So yeah. Really well, yes, that, that was back. I did a little bit of a study on it because I was going to be a little bit more informed with where that actually came from,、mm -hmm. and it started off with this author. It's also when that's translated into Latin,、um, Switzerland、um, informally uses that as their motto. Okay. In the Latin form, however, it did come before that with Shakespeare, and then they brought it earlier with somebody else. So it just has one of those. All for one、it、and one for all. Keeps、That's、going、awesome. on and on, but I'm rallying. I'm, I'm, I'm rallying it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I mean, one and for one sure. For Because it's it's true, it's true, and that's Acts twenty verse twenty eight that that he bought us with his blood. He died on the cross, the one for all, once and for all, once、There、and for、go. all. It's done. That's what Paul says. In the Galatians, he says that. That's absolutely amazing. Anyway, <laughs> very good. Okay, we're going into December next, so stay there. I look forward to next year. We're about a month away from it, and、uh, because we're doing an all-new Bible guide, it's going to be very exciting. I don't look forward to next year for what's going on in the world. I look forward to next year for understanding what's going on in the Word. And if you want to join us and read through the Bible, get on the Bible guide list. Go to Bible Discovery TV, call us or write us, and get on the list. Today we pray, Lord, thank you for your salvation. Help me to tell others about what you have done in my life.